everybody. Welcome back to The Bold Sidebar. This is your host, Jeff Horn, talking all things New Jersey Supreme Court. We are back to cases. I've been splicing together a bunch of interviews with fantastic, interesting people, Professor John Weffing, Alexander Shalom from ACLU, Bruce Greenberg, who writes the definitive appellate law blog in the state of New Jersey. I'll keep chasing guests. If you guys will feed me guests, I wouldn't mind, or feed me topics. I'll get to that again at the end. Four cases, a state V, charter school, a sex offender who wants to move to Poland, and an Oprah case. Let's get to the state V. State V, Craig Zempel, S-Z-E-M-P-L-E. It's a familiar name because it's a case that has been percolating in the system since 1991. You know I am transfixed on the Lodzinski case, better referred to as the disappearance of Timmy Wiltsey. And I'll just interrupt Craig V. Zempel for just a second. There is a news report that the government had to pay Ludzinski $20,000 because she slipped and fell while in custody. This case never ends. Okay, back to Craig V. Zempel. Justice Solomon writing for the majority, Justice Albin in dissent. Zempel was convicted of murdering a gentleman named Miroff, M-I-R-O-V, in New Jersey. In 1975, Miroff disappeared. Four months later, a body was found in the woods, but it was not identified until 16 years later, i.e. 1991. The police put the case together because they were interviewing Zempel's brother regarding another murder. 1992 trial ends in a mistrial. After the state had rested, the defendant's father-in-law, Michael Boyle, brought in a letter to the state. And the letter turns out to be extremely damning. And in 1994, the defendant, Zempel, is convicted of first-degree murder. He has gone through his appeals of right He's gone through post-conviction relief, and the court system doesn't really have a mechanism for additional post-conviction relief other than a motion for a new trial. A motion for a new trial does not have a time restriction in the criminal side. Let's get to this letter. It's, It's chilling and a bit poetic. The letter is found by Mr. Boyle while he's helping his daughter, the spouse of Zempel, move somewhere in proximity to the trial. Here's the letter. My first hit was an act of treachery, the ultimate deceit. Four bullets in the back, one in the neck, and a broken promise made at the parting of an oncoming river. That's the letter apparently in the defendant's handwriting. The defense did not bring in a handwriting expert to refute that it was the defendant's handwriting. One can presume, I think safely, that 
the defense would have tried to do so, may have shopped the idea around, but was unsuccessful in getting an expert who they thought could win the day. 1994 to 2021, the defendant's application now is for discovery, essentially a motion to get a part of the state's file that deals with the letter and the interview of the defendant's wife that occurred back when the letter was surfaced. The interview notes were provided to the defense at the time of trial with some redactions. Here, the court goes through the cases that deal with later discovered evidence and, and, and the procedures and the rights, talking about State v. Herrera, the Brady case, and of course, State v. Marshall. Well, all these cases essentially deal with good cause. Has the defendant provided evidence or made a significant effort to unearth evidence that would lead to more evidence and the right to discovery and a new trial. Here, the majority found that there was no evidence and no meaningful effort to unearth the evidence, and hence good cause was not found. Justice Alvin in dissent says uh, he does, the defendant does make a point. He, our policy is an open file approach, and hence he at least has good cause to get the file opened and get the notes received. Briefly, back to State v. Marshall when I became a lawyer, uh, Mr. Marshall, Robert Marshall, had been cause celeb. There had been a miniseries, a TV miniseries. This was before you had Netflix series. The miniseries was called Blind Faith, written by Joe McGinnis. And this goes back all the way to 1990. Mr. Marshall, who sat on death row through the 90s and well into the 2000s, and it was believed that of all the defendants that might actually have gotten the death penalty when we still had the death penalty, it might have been Marshall. He's the guy that set up his wife to be murdered in a rest stop on the Garden State Parkway in the mid-80s and sort of had none of the impairments that so many other defendants that would have sat on death row had, i.e. many have significant mental health, substance abuse, very, very tough lives. Mr. Marshall had none of that. He was a successful insurance broker and country club member and set up his wife to be murdered, a murder for hire. So anyway, I digress. Zempel looks like a pretty unsympathetic character. The opinion refers to him being charged of other murders, and certainly this chilling letter had to contribute substantially to his conviction, and the majority of the court, Justice Solomon and the majority, found no reason to grant him discovery or to reopen the case. Next case is on a topic I'm very interested in, that is the school segregation issue. Recall we've had Justice Gary Stein on the podcast talking about cases that are percolating through the trial court yet. The Latino Action Network Education Law Center, a bunch of names banded together to demonstrate that 
the New Jersey public school system is segregated and drastically so. In this case, the commissioner of the Department of Education has the obligation to review charter school applications and charter school renewal applications. Seven Newark charter schools came up for renewal and the renewal was granted. This goes back to 2016. The Education Law Center, led by Justice Stein, and cases in the name of the Education Law Center are often litigated by the law firm of Pashman, Stein, Walder, Hayden. Of course, I am a fan, uh, and as much as both Justice Stein and Joe Hayden have come on the podcast, and uh, these gentlemen are seasoned, seasoned practitioners who are still hitting it hard and uh, litigating cases. In this case, a huge pro bono undertaking in support of the Education Law Center. The Education Law Center appealed the commissioner's grant of the charter school renewals. Why? Multiple reasons. The main reason, the, the highbrow reason or the overarching reason is the argument that it's the commissioner's burden to demonstrate and to opine that charter school renewals do not jeopardize the thorough and efficient education required for our public school students under our New Jersey State Constitution and the series of Abbott cases. Here, the Supreme Court was met with the flood of Amici, the Education Law Center, the Attorney General, the ACLU, the most prolific New Jersey Supreme Court participants, that is uh, from Gibbons, Lawrence Lussberg, and ACLU, Director of Supreme Court Litigation, Alexander Shalom, and others, the Teachers Union, and New Jersey Charter Schools Association, a Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, and Educational Law Scholars. Judge Patterson writes the unanimous New Jersey Supreme Court opinion that is both practical and educational. I, I can't emphasize enough the different roles that the New Jersey Supreme Court plays. Here, the court specifically backs away from becoming the commissioner of education at the end of the opinion. However, the court does so you know, both because it's honoring the statutory scheme set forth in our statutes and, and regs that provide for the process that the commissioner needs to follow in granting, rejecting, or renewing a charter school application. The practical part is these charter schools were renewed in 2016. Now it's 2021. The court was in no position to reverse the commissioner's decision. Now what would happen? You're blowing up an enormous amount of school resources, students impacting students' lives, where we're trying to create a system where every student can thrive, where there are resources, where there are funds, where there are facilities that enable a thorough and efficient education for all New Jersey public school students. Certainly, simply blowing up the five charter school renewals would benefit no one in the short run. However, the court did admonish the commissioner to follow the case law in particular under the Englewood case, a 2000 
New Jersey Supreme Court case, the commissioner is required to evaluate the potential segregative effect of granting a charter school permission to operate. In addition, the court must consider the demographic composition of the entire community, those that may apply to and be admitted to the charter school. They've got to factor in students that have disabilities, students that require special education resources, students that are English language learners, and of course, the fiscal harm to the district. All of these components of the recipe must be considered in the commissioner's decision-making. The statute apparently requires that the commissioner provide reasons for a denial, but the standard is not so high as it relates to reasons for granting the ongoing uh, renewal of a charter school license or the grant of a new charter school. Here, the court, as a rulemaker, steps in and sets the standard for the commissioner going forward on future charter school renewal applications. Next one is a uh, sex offender case, JK versus New Jersey. Notice it's the reverse V. Here, JK is a convicted sex offender subject to CSL, community supervision for life, and hence under the Parole Act, subject to the Parole Board's supervision. The defendant wants to move to Poland. So he's a Polish national, he's from Poland, and in part of his application, he's got some letters from family members that uh, he could live with a family member in Poland, there would be no children living in the house, and uh, some other uncertified documents make up his application. This case is interesting in that during the midst of the appeal, the New Jersey Parole Board changed its policy, created a new policy, number 09.821, that deals with and permits international relocations. So here's the case percolating through the court system. It's argued in front of the New Jersey Supreme Court on only after the initial oral argument, does anyone bring up to the court, oh, by the way, we've got a new policy that within our discretion, we can permit international relocations for parolees. In a further irony, the attorney general takes a position that the new policy, the international relocation policy, is not defensible. So the lawyer that represents the parole board is in a bit of a conflicted situation. Got to back up the parole board that has its own rulemaking capabilities and in conflict with the policy making authority of the attorney general. Well, they get through this issue. The per curiam opinion, remember we've been learning about per curiam opinions from Bruce Greenberg and I'm back to the dreaded Lozinski case. I'll never let that one go, procuring opinion. In a procuring opinion, the court nonetheless calls the attorney general's position, quote, unusual, end quote, for sure. We all have a duty to our client, and the attorney general's client in this case was the parole board. So notwithstanding the fact that the court was not thrilled, frankly, with the parole board and the attorney general and having to get their act together and having to have the case re-argued during the middle of the pandemic. 
the court gets that part of it straightened out and then finds that even though there was a, a, a bit of unusual chaos in the midst of state government, that J.K.'s application was properly denied below. His, his application was deficient. He had been given the opportunity to provide supplemental information, and he simply didn't do it. So J.K. is stuck in New Jersey under community supervision for life. However, the, the door is open to other parolees who might want to follow the new policy set forth by the parole board. Last one, unanimous decision by Justice Pierre-Louis, Simmons v. Mercado. Really, let's think about this as an Oprah case with the Millville Police Department. Simmons and uh, through an organization or in parallel to an organization gathering data regarding bias in policing, demanded the CDR1, Complaint Disposition Record, which is an electronic process whereby the police enter certain data into a blank computer screen. So it's police entered. The Millville Police Department resisted giving some of the data, saying they don't retain the data, that that data is in the purview of the municipal court. There was a complaint filed. The Millville Police Department responded to the complaint by providing additional information. Still, not everything requested. So this opinion really clarifies that, number one, when the police department is entering an electronic record, the CDR as it's called, there no other agency sort of owns that data. It's the police's data, even though it's going to be processed through the court system. So hence, it's a government record. In addition, generating the CDR data is, is confirmed by Justice Pierre-Louis and the unanimous New Jersey Supreme Court that that is not research. Remember, Oprah does not require the government to do research. You can't give them a huge research project and say, give me these records within a few days as set forth in Oprah. To the contrary, you cannot compel the government to do research. However, this CDR record is not research. It's within the purview of the police departments. Amici here are ACLU, again, urging for the release of the documents. And another PD, West New York, that's in New Jersey, West New York PD joined on the Millville PD side opposing the application. So it's pretty clear anything entered electronically that generates that initial, that initial record, complaint disposition record, is public records. So that's it for today. Four cases. A pleasure to run through these. We'll be back with more episodes. Again, if you've got anything to share with me, you've got a case in the Supreme Court, you've been to the New Jersey Supreme Court, or you're heading there, please get in touch with me. Let's add a little color to these cases so we can follow them and to help everyone who listens to the bold sidebar get a little context and have a little something to talk about around the water cooler. Signing off for now. Thanks a lot.